following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. On the Tom Dupree show, more of uh, Woodstock 1969. Philip Sexton, we welcome to the show. How are you today, brother? Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. When was the first Woodstock? Was it's the old, first and only. First and only. I thought they had, I thought they kept going <laughs> with Woodstock for like a few years. They, did, they tried. Didn't yeah, they? they did one in 90, I want to think 99. They yeah, did one, yeah. and then they were trying to put one together to mark the 50th anniversary and at the same place uh, somewhere within the vicinity and it just fell apart completely yeah. and it, it was just bad and it doesn't count if country joe wasn't there so right um so but there's a lot of little smaller festivals going on <laughs> i think santana's playing one within 50 60 mile radius so there are some tributes going on around the area we got several stories philip that you wanted to share with us today. Uh, one of the things, well, first one, uh, this is definitely politically incorrect. If you want renewable energy, get ready to dig. Building one, <coughs> excuse me, building one wind turbine, excuse me, I'm gagging on the coffee. He's gagging on the coffee. It's, uh, oh, oh, hey, Bo, we need, we better change that brand. <laughs> requires 900 tons of steel, 2,500 tons of concrete, and 45 tons of plastic. Democrats dream of powering society entirely with wind and solar farms combined with massive batteries. Realizing this dream would require the biggest expansion in mining in the world and would produce huge quantities of waste. So who wrote this article? This is uh, Mr. Mark Mills. It's a uh, it's an opinion piece actually. In uh, well, who, that's my point. Who is Mark? Who's he I, with? I like Mark. Energy Tech Venture Fund. I think the interesting thing that I took from this and that is that a lot of people see the end game. You know, they see okay, we're going from A to B, but they don't talk about the road to get there. Right. You know, and and. Well, you all just had the the guy from uh, Synergy. Uh, well, no, the, the, just now you had the guy from North Lime, you know. And I think back twenty, thirty years ago, you know, you, you you wanted to get to the other side of North Lime. You wanted to get through it. You didn't want to talk about what you had to drive through. You just wanted to go from from Paris to Lexington, or vice versa. You didn't want to have to go through it. 
and this is the same principle of you know people say oh if we get you know wind and solar we've got renewable energy you know and everything is 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 fossil fuel free right well they don't talk about how you get there and and you know it says uh, renewable energy is a misnomer wind and solar machines and batteries are built from non-renewable materials and they wear out old equipment must be decommissioned generating millions of tons of waste uh, so it says the International Renewable Energy Agency calculates that solar goals for 2050 consistent with the Paris Accords will result in old panel disposals constituting more than double the tonnage of all today's global plastic waste. Uh, consider some of these other sobering numbers. A single electric car battery, which weighs about 1,000 pounds. Now, wait a minute. How? Do, t- why does a battery, car battery, weigh 1,000 pounds? That's it's if one that drives the car not not a not a battery that starts the car but one for a, a car that drives an electric car electric okay car. that's why it's a thousand yeah. pounds yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah sorry 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 guys well no that's just like wait a minute <laughs> i can't change that battery <laughs> thousand pounds uh, <laughs> so it says fabricating one of these Requires digging up, moving, and processing more than 500,000 pounds of raw materials somewhere on the planet. The alternative? Good Use Lord. gasoline and extract one-tenth as much of total tonnage to deliver the same number of vehicular miles driven over that battery's seven-year life. Now, here's the wind turbine example. Building one wind turbine requires 900 tons of steel, 2,500 tons of concrete, and 45 tons of non-recyclable plastic. Wow. This is just hard to believe, isn't it? It is. It's crazy. Well, if if this stuff didn't have subsidies, it wouldn't exist at all. Well, and and I think about how many of these how how many of these materials are actually non-renewable materials? Uh, it's talk, it talks about the world demand for rare earth metals, which aren't rare but are rarely mined in America, will rise 300% to 1,000%, uh, depending upon the metal, by 2050. Uh, if electric vehicles replace conventional cars, demand for cobalt and lithium will uh, rise more than 20-fold. Now, you, you don't... Lithium doesn't grow on trees. Right. You still... You got to dig it up just like you got to dig everything else up. You know, yeah. you got to pop pop a well for oil it's you're not making something that is renewable that's right in the end because if you have to tear it down and replace it because it you know it wet it can't weather 40 years worth of use really what this article is saying is that the most energy efficient cleanest way to go is fossil fuels yeah did you see the the quote from the engineers talking about this study? Engineers joke about discovering unobtainium, a magical energy-producing element that appears out of nowhere, requires no land, weighs nothing, and emits nothing. Absent the realization of that impossible dream, Hydrocarbons remain a far better alternative than today's green dreams. Right. And on top of that guy, I think another thing too, and he didn't he didn't touch on this, and I think it would be cool to really break it down. 
you know, when you start talking about mining all of that steel or, or lithium or copper or whatever it may be, the amount of fossil fuels that goes, goes into that, into digging that stuff up out of the ground. And then, you know, you make the, uh, the, the plastics for the, the solar panels and the wind turbines, the amount of petroleum that it takes, because that's what makes plastic, you know, chemicals from petroleum. Yep. So you start talking about this and you may turn around and we may be driving electric vehicles and using twice as much oil. That's right. That's a that's a really good point. I'm surprised we don't read that good, Philip. It's it's surprising to me we don't read more, hear more about this in the news. Why do y'all think that is? Because everybody operates out of a bias. And the news media, to some extent, operates out of this bias that says that uh, energy fuel is bad, uh, it pollutes the environment, creates global warming, those kinds of things. And this is a this is an accepted bias that they operate out of. And uh, you know you can't do anything about it. It, it, There are certain things that people take as truth Uh and they don't examine them. That's right. So it's all a matter of the uh, three letter handle that's, or four letters, depending on what news agency you're using. Yeah. I I remember one time I was talking to my mother this many years ago and there was a issue going on in Lexington that was very divisive. I think it had to do with condemnation in the Kentucky American Water Company. It was that issue. And as you all know, the community was split. And I was I was pretty passionate against condemnation, obviously. I, I just don't believe that, you know, you take a public company, a biz, for-profit business, and condemn it. I've just never, never understood that concept. But my mother and I were talking about it, and the Herald-Leader had written a story that was very biased. And, pro-condemnation. Yes, pro-condemnation. And... And we got in an argument, and I'll never forget this. She looked at me, and she said, Guy, it's in the Herald-Leader. It's true. Yeah. And she really believed that. Wow. And that's what you're you're talking about, Tom, I think. If Google says it. Yeah, if Google says it. Yeah. Well, but, I say we got to take a break. Okay. <laughs> so, it must be true. It must, it must be, be true. true. All right. With us, you're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Electricity in the air. El Paso. Philadelphia. Fire. Mental illness. 2020 is our chance. Are you ready? News is happening. A good place to be. Right here. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree, Jr. What does a good financial advisor do? Perhaps it comes down to asking the right questions instead of having all the answers. For instance, should I take Social Security now or later? Am I really ready to retire? Is my money invested properly to pay me an income during retirement? These are a few of the questions that might come up in your discussion with a financial advisor. Good questions are what a financial advisor may be able to help you with. You will come up with the answers on your own. If you're not sure about some of these things and need a sounding board, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a complimentary appointment. 
Also, you can listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859 233 Pre-show, back on the time to pre-show. Philip Sexton and Guy Huglet, uh, and Elizabeth Dupree and Woodstock hang, hanging in, and we were reliving Woodstock. Right, oh. Joe Cocker, love that song. That's right. <laughs> this was his first introduction to the American audience. Sixty-nine was it? Yeah, at Woodstock. That's where he really came into his own. Golly. Two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. It was sixty nine, right? Nineteen sixty nine. You know that I was I wasn't even a, a twinkle in my grandmother's eye at that point. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was born in seventy one, so Really? Yes. Well, I was She's a young mother. I was hanging out at Wheeler's pharmacy on Romney Road smoking cigarettes behind the Dempster dumpster. Yeah. The Dempster dumpster. In 1969. <laughs> I was. I was 11. <laughs> so you were born in? 91. 91. All right. The Greek 10-year yield dips under 2% for the first time ever, back below the U.S. 10-year. The yield on Greek debt has fallen below 2% for the first time ever. Eurozone yields have tumbled as investors pile into bonds. The rally in fixed income is a direct response to fears over global growth. So this article was published the last week of July. Uh, the reason that it's in the pile, because yeah. we talk about the, uh, you know, a, a big thing in the, the headlines this week was the inverted yield curve and how that always is um, an indicator of a recession. Typically is. Or typically is, yes. That's right. Typically. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was we're we're in uncharted territory. Absolutely. You know, when you look at this is a prime, prime example. Uh you you look at Greek uh government debt, uh which, you know, slipped below two percent on their ten year bond. Uh an interesting thing about that is it at that point in time, I don't think it is now, but it was below what the uh, U.S.'s borrowing cost was. Uh, but it says the dramatic fall in Greece's borrowing cost is a testament to how much it is now considered a stable member of the European Union, especially given that as recently as 2018, total Greek government debt was calculated at 181% of the country's gross domestic product. Now, to put this into layman's terms, that is the equivalent of owing 180% of what your house is worth on your mortgage. Right. Because what a country does when they borrow money, they're borrowing against their ability to create over time. Same principle. Yeah. That's that's their that's their equity is their GDP, and they're at a hundred and eighty one percent. But the simple fact that uh, they're backed by other European players 
allows them to trade down to a 2% or below on a 10-year debt. A picture that. Right. You know, a, a country that if some big players, Germany and France and a couple others looked at them and said, we're done subsidizing you, would go bankrupt tomorrow. That's right. That's right. So trades to that level. That shows you how starved the globe is. The Not globe. just the United States. The globe is to produce a nominal yield. That's right. What is it? 13 trillion in assets that is producing negative? Negative yields. Yields? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that from an uncharted territory perspective, I'm thinking to myself, okay, if they're willing to pay that for the government debt of Greece, well, then it makes sense that the U.S.'s 10-year bond should trade down to 1.5%. Right. Or even lower, to be honest. Well, the the guy, J.P. Morgan, came out and said that he thinks the U.S. 10-year is going to hit zero. It wouldn't surprise me. Because it's you look at our ability to service our debt, where we're trading at from a debt-to-GDP standard, all these things, we're still growing at a rate of uh, somewhere between, uh, depending on whose numbers you use, somewhere close to 2% annually. Yeah. You know, on, on a GDP perspective, about closer to 3 You know, so w- w- all these things combined, we're in a heck of a lot better shape than Greece. Yeah. <laughs> Without question. And we're yielding about the same. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when you look at Greece, the biggest, one of, uh, I think it is the biggest component of their GDP is government spending. Right. So GDP is made up of uh, consumption, government spending, uh, difference in savings and interest, and exports. Uh, If government spending is your biggest thing, well, the only way the government can spend is by taxing. Right. So you're taxing the few to pay the... By the way, we don't own any Greek bonds in our portfolio, Dupree <laughs> uh, Financial Group, although it would have been smart to have bought some two years ago and oh, watched yeah. them right up in value. Been smart to buy them four years ago when they were thinking about going bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> it would have. Um, that being said, though, you know... It, I think that I kind of wanted to paint this picture of you can't just say because A happened, B is going to happen. Because the yield curve inverted, we're going to have a recession. That doesn't doesn't necessarily mean B. It doesn't – it's not cut and dry. You know, we're, we're in uncharted territories. Global conditions have always played – uh, role in a recession, but not all, but not every recession. That's right. Correct. It's a good point. So, I mean, we know things are tough globally, but things aren't that tough here. Let's talk about that. That's right. right. The economy here is good. Well, it's still continuing to to move along just fine. Well, when you talk about our economy too, our economy isn't reliant so much on foreign economies buying goods from us we're a service-based economy you know we 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 export way more than we 
I mean, we import way more than we export. Sorry, I flipped that. Um, you know, so we're not relying on Europe. If Europe went into a recession, we're not reliant upon them to buy goods from us. That that that, that isn't what drives our GDP. Mm-hmm. Our GDP is is driven by consumption, consumption in the U.S. Mm-hmm. of goods and services. Goods and services, which you know, a lot of it. People are working. People are spending money. Exactly. You're not seeing mass layoffs. So before we get into the break here, I know we've got one coming up, Tom. I I, I really don't understand this, and maybe you can help me with your years of experience. If, what if, hypothetically, the 10-year yield, the bond, Treasury bond for U.S. Treasury bond hits zero, what what really is going to happen? Gosh, I if anybody wanted yield, they'd have to look where somewhere else. Somewhere else, correct? They'd have to. Or they just let their money sit in the in a in an institution earning nothing. That's right. Right. Or they could buy stocks. They they'd start buying st- stocks, many of which yield higher than the right. treasury. Correct. Okay. There's one of our holdings uh that I looked at yesterday, Simon Properties Group. They're yielding 5 Point six percent. Have you checked, looked mm-hmm. at that one recently? Yeah, they uh, they own uh, they own shopping centers. That's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> they own shopping well, centers. And and to be honest with you, uh, they are the golden child in that industry. That's right. You know, it, it's they've got the best of the best properties, and you look at what they've done versus the performance of their peers. They've significantly outshined anything right. in that that sector but at the same time you know it's it's it comes down to like you were saying tom it's kind of a next best alternative yeah you know you look at shopping malls and you're like ee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, well everybody even would. good ones even yeah. good ones because you just really we got to let's let's look at the truth about it we're we're getting lazy y'all we don't go out and shop anymore click 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 and point. Click, click. It's so easy, and it's at your door the next day. Exactly. That's right. Wow. All right. Anyhow. <laughs> well, but that that's that kind of goes back. You know, it's it's. You look at the the cash flow stability of Simon Property Group. You know, and it, it seems like they have probably the only one in our sector with good cash flow stability. Well, now you're seeing them trade up in price because people are buying it because hey yield i can get nominal yield here that's right stay with us you're listening to the tom dupree show where we're trying to come to some conclusions but they're hard to come to (laughs) news radio 630 wlap Win your way to our 2019 iHeartRadio Music Festival and $1,000 to spend while you're in Vegas. More than 30 of the biggest music superstars handpicked by iHeartRadio. Two nights. T-Mobile Arena here in Las Vegas. Plus the daytime stage. See Tim McGraw, Backstreet Boys, Alicia Keys, Hootie and the Blowfish, and many, many more. Hosted by Ryan Seacrest. Listen for your next chance to text and win access to our iHeartRadio Music Festival. Plus $1,000 spending cash. Did you know that 80% of kids with an anxiety disorder aren't treated? 60% of kids with depression aren't treated. And half of mental health disorders begin before the age of 14. 
With those kinds of numbers, it's time we do something about it. It all starts with us telling our kids that it's okay to speak up. If you're ready to start the conversation, go to iHeartRadio.com talk for helpful tips. This has been brought to you by the Child Mind Institute and iHeartRadio. Chris Young, live, Raised on Country Tour. I was raised on country. Saturday, November 23rd, Rump Arena. Chris Young, hit after amazing hit. And tonight I'm drowning. With special guests, Eli Youngman and Matt Stell. Tickets available at LiveNation.com. Chris Young, Raised on Country Tour. Protests continue. Teachers marching alongside their students this time. We want to protect our students, our youngsters. So teachers are willing to come out and speak for the uh, youngster and also stand by them so that they are not alone. In this country, Portland, Oregon, to be the scene today of dueling extremist protests. Neo-Nazis plan to rally. Self-described anti-fascists plan to counter-protest. More than two dozen local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies are lending personnel to Portland police to deal with any violence. Customs and Border Protection reports its computers are working properly this morning. A nationwide outage on Friday caused massive delays at ports of entry. People coming into the U.S. had to wait for hours to be processed. Officials say right now the outage does not appear to be the result of a malicious attack on its network. Richard Cantu, ABC News. Dealing with a very steamy weekend kicking off on this Saturday. Mix of sunny clouds across the area. That afternoon high making a run at 90, but the threat is there for a scattered thunderstorm or two. We'll keep an eye on that. A lot of dry times. That'll carry us into Sunday. Upper 80s to low 90s. Heat index will be a little toastier than that. Chance for an afternoon thunderstorm. Replay that forecast to start the work week on Monday. Make it a great weekend and stay cool, everybody. I'm WKYT Chief Meteorologist Chris Bailey on your official weather station, News Radio 630 WLAP. Broadcasting live 24 7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP and iHeart Radio Station. If you're interested in solar energy but don't want the cost of a private system, KU has a bright idea for you. It's called SolarShare, and it's an easy way to support locally produced solar energy. There are no startup costs, no maintenance, and you even get a monthly bill credit. So do more than consume energy. With SolarShare, we're empowering you to help create it. Visit lge-ku.com solar share to sign up. J&H Outdoor Store, Central Kentucky's outdoor headquarters since 1972, with everything you need for your tailgate or back to school. Come see the new styles, colors and accessories of coolers and ramblers from Yeti, backpacks from Patagonia, the North Face, and Osprey, and sandals and flips from Chaco and Teva. Something for everyone. J&H Outdoor Store, just off Nicholasville Road on Moore Drive. Turn between Raising Canes and Wendy's. J&H Outdoor Store. At Indeed, we understand that when it comes to hiring, it's important to have a large talent pool to choose from. But sometimes too many good options can be overwhelming. That's why Indeed doesn't just give you access to a large pool of job seekers. We also offer screener tools that let you instantly narrow down your search. Hone in on hiring with Indeed. Experience Indeed for yourself today and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting at Indeed.com promo. Terms and conditions apply. 
630 WLAP. We'd like to take this opportunity now play a little something we learned from Mr. James Brown. Soul brother no one, the king of soul music. Now this ain't soul music, mind you. This is rock music. But it's got soul to it, if you can dig that. And now with your kind permission, the fellas in the band are like to play a little thing they just learned. Ain't that right, boys? More of Woodstock. Back on the Tom Dupree show. Uh, Country Joe and the Fish. Yeah. Which I always thought was a great name for a band. When they weren't country at all, they were... They were pretty rock and roll and pretty, yeah. pretty psychedelic, too. Country Joe and Fish. <laughs> Country Joe and the Fish. The bond raiders still need to be fixed. The reforms adopted after the financial crisis didn't resolve the industry's inherent conflicts. Yes, they do. <laughs> so talk about it. Yes, they do. So uh, kind of a, a brief history. Um, it actually starts all the way back to the dot-com crash, uh, you know, 2000 range, uh, with the economy still sluggish after the dot-com crash in 9-11, uh, the federal reserve set interest rates to 1% and bond managers were under intense pressure to generate yield. This, uh, sent them on a mad scramble to find investment grade debt with higher returns. Uh, this is where the credit raters come in, uh, Moody's and S and P, uh, Fitz was a relatively small player, slapped investment-grade ratings on securities backed by junk, subprime loans, because they were literally paid to do so by the debt issuers. Issuers shop for ratings. If Moody's refused to provide a desired grade, then the S&P would. When it all went south, the debt raters made feeble attempts to claim their ratings were opinions or protected political speech under the First Amendment. These arguments failed and eventually uh, leading to fines for their... Uh, mouth, malfaceness. I don't. Is that how you pronounce malfeasance? Malfeasance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, S and P paid uh, one and a half billion to settle with the U S. and individual states. Moody's paid a much smaller fine. Uh, I think the interesting thing they they talk about ways to fix this, uh, and it talks. The biggest one here is. Uh, you have the bond buyers pay for the ratings. Mm-hmm. So sell the ratings to the bond buyers, not the bond issuers. And I, it says, so during the 19th century. Like having an appraiser yeah. uh, representing the buyer of the house rather than the seller. Exactly. Yeah. In real estate, they do that. Correct. Now the appraisers actually represent the bank. Right. The the lending institution. If you're paying cash, it would be the buyer. Though. Right. You're correct. If you're paying cash. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and, and even representing the bank, it's still, you know, uh, the the buyer pays for the appraisal, uh, typically because it's yeah. usually lumped into the mortgage. Um, but it says, during the 19th century, investors in railroads paid for information on the quality of bonds they were buying which is how the S&P uh, and Moody's got their start. In the 1970s, the, Raider, uh, the Raiders began, not Raiders, began the practice of charging issuers for their services, displacing the subscriber pays model. That the investor pays model once prevailed suggests that under the right conditions and with the right incentives, it could work again. 
the conclusion that I want to get to here, I've got a conclusion for this one, Tom, um, is that when you're doing research on an investment, do your own research. Right. Drill in, look at the cash flows, look at the balance sheet, look at what this company is actually producing and the consistency of their ability to continue to produce that because your your ability to to look at the fundamentals of a company are much greater than a Moody's or an S&P going in and looking at five different metrics and you know getting paid a fee by the person that they're looking at to produce a rating right you know it's a it, it it's a conflict of interest when someone pays you to sell their things right it, it is exactly what it is that's right and so i guess what i'm trying to say is is you can't solely rely on a rating or something like that you need to have the fundamental analysis be able to dig in and form your own opinion on something uh you know there's been times where we've looked at a double B rated bond and liked its ability to continue to pay and pay the principal uh, when the the time of when the time comes due more so than we liked a triple B rated bond. Right. You know it, it it's and and it it solely comes down to our abilities to look at cash flows cash flows it's all about the cash <clears throat> that's right you you said it and when you think about ratings bond ratings credit ratings everything is about your ability to pay that's really what it boils down to and, and when i was reading this i was i kind of enjoyed reading this article because he's he's right there are a lot of things that need to be changed about ratings and when you look back at what happened in 2008, you know, the, the, great, the great Recession, the financial meltdown, it was all due to one thing. Things weren't what they said they That's were. Right. There was no accountability. There was no... So it, it was like an accounting scandal. Yes. When Enron presented their uh, financials financial. to the public, it was backed by Arthur Anderson which ended up being fraud fraud the financials of the bonds were backed by moody's and standard and poor's they acted in similarly to an accounting firm which verified their financials which ended up being fraudulent right and um this broke the bond market broke it tore it to pieces yeah quickly yeah i mean it was scary and it just continued. So many of those bonds that were AAA rated were backed by housing assets. Collateral-backed mortgages. Backed yep. by um, yep. mortgages of, of properties. Yeah, and, and, and it all boiled down to the, the people that got hurt were the investors. That's right. You know, and, and that's where the flipping it to the investors pay for the ratings. Well, now the buy shifts. Right. You know, now now the onus is to protect the investors because if you protect the investors, they will value you 
more. You look at the spread between non-issued corporate debt, uh, non-rated corporate debt, not not non-issued, non-rated corporate debt and rated corporate debt. The spread is very very small. Yeah, because bond buyers just they're, they're not interested in the ratings anymore. Well, now I I might be getting way too opinionated, but I'm going to go on and do that because this is the Tom Dupree show. Your opinion counts here. <laughs> Up to a point. So, <laughs> well, you know, in 2008 the system was broken. There's no question about it. It, it, right. it was. And and a lot of bad things happened because of it. They tried to fix it. Yes. Sarbanes-Oxley tried to fix it. But they didn't. They didn't really drill down into the root cause. Sarbanes-Oxley, in my opinion, fixed me, you, and Tom, Elizabeth, the consumer. When we borrow money now, we have to prove that we have the ability to do what we say we do. That's really what Sarbanes-Oxley did. Yes. That's how I see it. And that's a good thing. Well, and you— okay. You, you cut your teeth in the banking industry, and you've told me the oh. difference between oh, yeah. how how a consumer's I, credit is rated now versus how it was then. How it was then. Was it the three Cs? Right. Yeah, the three Cs. You know, it, character was the first and most important, and we talked more about character than anything. A man's integrity, a woman's integrity. That was important. And if they were good people and you believed and trusted them, they got, the deal got done every time. Then you looked at collateral, and then you looked at the capacity to pay it back. That's really what we talked about. But so here's what, back to my opinion, Sarbanes-Oxley addresses the consumer piece. Yes. But it didn't address the rating piece. Right. And so I wonder, you know, I wonder, okay, <laughs> what's really going on? Yes, well, there's Phillips over doing the, the, the money the, sign. Money sign. Here we go, because. Congress, the federal government got involved, all that same stuff here. Here we are again. And that may be the root problem. Follow the money. Yeah, follow the money. But we've got to address this. We do. And that's what we do at the pre-financial right. group, you guys. And Philip already alluded to that. We do our own ratings. We do our own ratings. And one of the things we do that I love about our, our firm is we go out on the road and we visit the facilities, we walk in the building, we meet with people, we look them in the eye, we see what's going on, and that's a positive. Sniff and test. The, yeah, and, you know, that's old school, but sometimes old school's real good and pure. All right. You, you, you want to. What? You what? Pure. Well, it is. It's you pure. Love that word, pure. I love the word pure. Uh, yes, I do. <coughs> It's one of my favorite it's, words. You want to know the people you're doing business with. Yes. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. It is the Tom Dupree Show. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Happening over there. Hong Kong. Protesters. Happening right here. Gun crisis. Chance of recession. Jeffrey Epstein. No matter where it happens, your world happens. It's all happening here. Gather more information. The facts. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree Jr. What does a good financial advisor do? Perhaps it comes down to asking the right questions instead of having all the answers. 
For instance, should I take Social Security now or later? Am I really ready to retire? Is my money invested properly to pay me an income during retirement? These are a few of the questions that might come up in your discussion with a financial advisor. Good questions are what a financial advisor may be able to help you with. You will come up with the answers on your own. If you're not sure about some of these things and need a sounding board, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a complimentary appointment. Also, you can listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. Sacrificing your retirement savings to send a child to college benefits no one, not even the student. Okay. Tell me about this. This is an article from Barron's. Can I I talk about my definition here real quick? Yeah. Yeah, All right. Definition of pure. So we were picking on Guy a little bit about his word pure, but the definition of pure is free of any contamination without any extraneous or unnecessary elements. I think that that actually is a good description of Dupree Financial Group. Yes, it is. Well, we, listen, we were talking about note character, and that's one of the things Elizabeth brought that up at the break. You know, Dupree Financial Group is local. We know our clients. Our clients know us. You know, what ha- What what happened in the banking business is, is it was local then, and they knew who they were dealing with. Right. Now it's changed. You know, there's a somebody behind a computer screen, and we don't even know what country sometimes when you're dealing with folks. Exactly. Right? Particularly in, the, in our business. Yeah. And that's not the case. And that character and the accountability and knowing who you're talking with allows you to tell someone, back to this article, that using your retirement savings to pay for your child's college is a grave, grave mistake. Right. Uh, you know, because when you start dipping into your retirement savings, uh, you know, you're helping your child out, but you're you're killing your future at the same time. Uh, it's So it, it uses a prime example here. So take take, for example... A parent 10 years away from retirement looking to take $50,000 out of an individual retirement account, uh, which, you know, might cover one year of college nowadays uh, at at the way things are going. Uh, This is a non-tax deductible account. Uh, Assuming an average return of 5% as well as a quarter percent in investment fees, that parent would lose out on more than $29,000 over the next decade if she made that withdrawal for her child's college education. According to Andrea uh, Firestein, Managing Director of AKF Consulting, comparably, a $50,000 10-year student loan payable each month at an assumed cost of 6% would equal total interest payments of about $13,130. Big, big difference there. Right. Um, You know, I, I think that 
this is a huge issue, you know, when you start talking about, hey, you want to fund your children's college and, and such, such and such things. You know, this is something that you start thinking about when your child is basically born. Yeah. You know, and, and this is where you need to have someone that you can talk to because, you know, at the pre-financial group, we're going to tell you absolutely not. You you don't touch your, your IRA to pay for your child's college. Let them take the loans. It'll save you money in the long run. You just pay the loan if you if you really are adamant about it. At the same time, you know we'll also say we'll look at your we'll we'll look at your um, cash flow statement. Basically, what are you what are you bringing in in a month, and what are you what are your expenses, and we'll find ways to help you save for that child's college over the next eighteen years. Um, you know that's something that that. We're more than happy to do for our clients uh, because this is a this is a relationship. This is a marriage, you know. That child is our child now. We're That's we're right. gonna get them through college one way or another. Well, we're not gonna pay for the college. <laughs> yeah, and we're not gonna take the test. Either. Yeah, we're not taking the test either. <laughs> Write the papers. We're not gonna get them on the rowing machine either, or the rowing team. I mean, but. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I just think that this is this is a, a prime example of where you need a a plan and you need someone to help hold you accountable on the plan and someone that you trust, um, you know, because taking money out of your retirement, especially, you know, by the time your child is 18 in college, you know, that puts you somewhere in your 40s to 50s you're getting a lot closer to retirement you know the the amount of room you have to make a mistake the window of time you have to 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 make up the lost ground from the mistake is much much shorter i like what philip said our clients children are our children yeah i love that and and the reason i got excited when you said that is because i think about who we really are at Dupree, you know, we say it all the time, Tom, we're a candid and diligent guide, yep. right? And we're going to tell you the truth. And we're going to say, hey, don't don't go borrow money to send your child to college. There's right. other solutions to the challenge. Yep. And it's nothing more than a challenge, not a problem. It's a challenge. It's an opportunity you want to provide your child. And if you didn't do your homework and save and put a college fund together. Listen to this, you guys. Over 2 million people between the age of 50 and 65 years old took out a Parent PLUS loan as of 2015. Now, here's something. Listen, another 200,000 were over 65 years old. So there, here you go. You've worked all your life. To prepare for your retirement, save money, work with the pre-financial. You're building this beautiful portfolio that you're going to enjoy retirement. And now you're going into debt. And if you guys aren't aware, <laughs> I know you are, I am, it's expensive to go to college. Yes. And here's the thing. Now I'm going to get opinionated again. Is this going to be the next real bubble? Good point student loan debt it's 1.5 trillion uh, just like the housing 
You remember what happened? Is this going to be, you know, right now they're, they're just being so forgiving to the debt. You just, you just put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. That's what these Meanwhile, kids are doing. Meanwhile, it accumulates. And a lot bigger. of interest. You know, uh, a $40,000 student loan is now $80,000. It's, so okay? it's so easy to, to defer it. Defer. They, they'll let you defer. So you got a whole nother, you know, it's back to this bond rating thing. It's accountability. When are we going to really step up and say, hey, this is what we need to do? Now, that's not going to happen down at Dupree, though. And I really like to emphasize that point to our listeners. You know, we, we're going to tell you the truth. Sometimes right. the truth hurts, but you'll thank us in the long run. That's the whole point of being a diligent guide, candid and diligent. Candid means... We tell you when something's not right. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyhow. Falling bond yields make equities hard to ignore. Nearly 60% of S&P 500 stocks offer a dividend yield of at least 1.7%, beating 10 years treasuries. This is by Michael Worstorn in in, uh, the Wall Street Journal. A plunge in bond yields has left investors with few alternatives to stocks. Could this be the thing that helps the stock market out is the fact that the bond market yields are so low, Philip? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've, Guy said this earlier, we, we've been shouting this from the mountaintops for years. Years. This is um, who we are. You know, when you're looking at your, your retirement portfolio, it needs to produce for you. Uh, it doesn't, you know, especially in retirement, growth is chunky growth comes in bits and pieces lumpy you can't time growth yeah um you know so it has to be able to produce something of consistency uh so you know when you look okay what's consistent well interest payments are usually consistent okay interest payments are nothing now um so now you've got to go to something else well dividends so now you've got Nearly 60% of stocks in the S&P 500 offer a dividend yield of at least 1.7%, according to FactSet, better than the 1.64% yield where the 10-year U.S. Treasury settled Monday. Uh, It uses AT&T, General Mills, and uh, Western Digital are among the highest-yielding and best-performing stocks in the index this year. Each each has a dividend yield of at least 3.6%, while yields across the broad index average 2%. Um, now there's also the other piece of the pie. You have to make sure that your dividends are going to be consistent. Yeah. You know, you have to make sure that the the cash flows are going to be there. So, uh, you know, it says dividend paying stocks can help insulate investors from the worst of a pullback when the S and P 500 fell 6.6 percent in May following renewed trade anxieties. UBS portfolio holding, uh, including Home Depot, McDonald's, and J P Morgan. And other dividend-paying stocks with a below-average exposure to China fell a more modest 3.7%. Um, however, investors need to consider more than just the company's share payout. According to analysts, some of the highest dividend-yielding stocks are among the market's worst performers this year. Uh, you you can't just chase yield. You have, right. to, you have to look at how much are they paying out in terms of their income and their cash flows. Uh, that's something that we look at every single day. And that we is Dupree Financial Group. You can look us up on Facebook. Uh, 
You can uh, look at our website, DupreeFinancial.com. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, big time. <laughs> Listen to the podcast of this show. You can find that on our website. You can drive on Main Street and come visit. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Guy Huglin and Philip Sexton. News Radio 630 WLAP.